Welcome to another Calvary Baltimore B-Side with our senior pastor, Josh Plantholt. B-Sides are a companion to the weekly sermon, giving an in-depth look behind the teaching. And now with running commentary to complement this week's sermon, here's Pastor Josh. Welcome to B-Sides. Um, we are in Revelation chapter 10, verses 1 through 7 uh, today, and we have a whole lot to get to. Uh, that we just did not have time for on Sunday. So anyways, again, welcome to B-Side, uh, Revelation 10, verses 1 through 7. Um, and I'd like to jump right into this because we got some ground to cover. <clears throat> uh, verse 1, Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. And uh, remember that the 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 six uh, the, the seven seals have been opened, Six trumpets have been blown, and then right before, right before, you know, you expect the seventh trumpet to sound, there's a pause, and we're, we're given two chapters, we're given a bunch of chapters here on um, the things that are in between the sixth and the seventh chapter, and if you remember all the way back at the seals, there was a break in between the sixth and the seventh seal. Uh, and in between the sixth and the seventh seal, remember God raised up the 144,000 pastors and missionaries to go into the world and to advance the gospel. Well, so too here in between the sixth and the seventh trumpet, God is going to raise up uh, messengers uh, to advance the gospel. Uh, so uh, we're seeing a pattern now emerge. But anyways, uh, as we'd expect the seventh uh, trumpet to sound, uh, there's a break. And John writes, and I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. Um, now, I, I laid out on, on Sunday that I believe this to be the Holy Spirit. Um, one of the reasons I, I, I don't take this word angel as literal, because a lot of people say, well, it says angel. Uh, it must mean angel. Uh, but one of the reasons I don't take that literally is because when you look at the original languages, uh oh, as you look at the original languages, uh, angels in the Greek is angelos, and it just means messenger. So, for example, in the Gospels, uh, 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 angels are, of course, called angelos. Uh, Gabriel was an angelos, but so is John the Baptist in the book of Mark. So Mark is an angelos, an angelos. Uh, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 20, the stars are angel, angelos of the churches. And the angelos is the, the messengers of the church we saw were human pastors. So, so far already in the book of Revelation, we have two different meanings for the same word here, these messengers. So as far as it... So, so far, it has meant angels, this Greek word, angelos, and it has meant pastors. So, this strong, mighty messenger could be something, my point is, besides an angel. And that's just from the language here, when we look at it in its original. And again, I take this as the Holy Spirit, and, and Peter Lightheart was the one who turned me on to this. And at first, when I heard it, I went, oh, that sounds crazy. <laughs> and I totally rejected it. But after studying it and poking at it and seeing what other people were saying, 
Um, just looking at it from a bunch of different ways, I, I think he's right. Um, and we'll, so let's keep reading. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. And he had a little scroll open in his hand. Then he set his right foot on the sea. And literally, and literally, uh, what this means in the Greek is on. He put his foot on the sea, not in the sea, on the sea. Uh, like Jesus walking on the water. This mighty angel is standing with his right foot on the water. And then it says, and his left foot on the land. And we're going to pause for a few minutes here. If you can remember from previous B-sides, there's a position that I don't fully hold, but would not be surprised if it was true. And I think maybe sometimes there are elements of this that are true, certainly in the Old Testament. And that is that the land in the book of Revelation represents Israel, and that the sea represents the Gentiles. Well, if this is true, then the mighty angel just claimed dominion specifically over Israel and the Gentile nations. So this claim to dominion on land and sea may also specifically be about uh, the Jews and the Gentiles. Now, what's interesting is the, is the dominant foot, uh, the, the right foot, is on the sea. So there's an emphasis on the sea here. And whether this land, uh, Israel, sea, Gentile illusion is true, what is true is that Babylon is a city on the sea. We're going to see that merchants mourn it as they see it collapse. And here the angel has his strong right foot on the sea. So point being, even the mighty Babylon is under the strong right foot of this messenger of God and his agents. Uh, also, assuming that the land is Israel and the sea is the Mediterranean, this mighty angel, then we know which direction they're looking. And they would be looking towards North Africa if that was the case. Uh, now, why? Why is that important? I have no idea. <laughs> uh, just some things to chew on. Uh, if the foot is on Asia Minor, where the seven letters to the churches are being delivered, uh, then the angel would be facing Israel, the right foot on the sea, the left foot on Asia Minor. Uh, th that would make them pointed directly at Israel. Or if we, if we chose the closest sea to Jerusalem, we actually see that that's the Dead Sea. So if the angel is, is one foot on, right foot on the Dead Sea and his left foot uh, on Jerusalem, on, or near Jerusalem, on the Holy Land, um, then the angel, uh, he, he's facing the ancient site of Babylon. Uh, possibly the Arab Emirates, or India, or China. Uh, I wouldn't make a doctrine out of any of these things, but it, it's something certainly to tuck away because because we're told which foot's where, we also know which direction this messenger is facing. And maybe that's important, maybe it's not, but it's something to just tuck away in the old memory bank there. Uh, now, also... I shared on Sunday that the act of placing one's foot on something is to claim dominion over it. And, and the, the strong scripture that I really liked was from uh, Ruth chapter 4. Uh, when Ruth wants, uh, when Boaz wants a Ruth, 
there was a land exchange in that uh, portion uh, of scripture, and it says that he took off his sandal and gave it gave it as a part of the land exchange and the point was is that if the sandal uh repre- if, if the the sandals that walked on the land represented dominion of the land then an exchange of sandals makes total sense whoever owned the sandals has dominion over the land uh and dr frank keeps making the joke i wonder if he washed the sandal before he gave it uh because it may be stinky and the answer to that question is no because he would keep the dust on it <laughs> now i want to read to you a new testament passage on this so we we saw it from the old testament and jesus takes this dominion theology uh as it re- relates to shoes uh and he he builds upon this in luke chapter 10 i want to read this to you after this the lord jesus appointed 72 uh, others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go and he said to them the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few therefore pray earnestly to the lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest go your way behold i am sending out as lambs in the midst of wolves carry no money bag no knapsack no sandals and greet no one on the road whether house you enter first say peace be to this house and if a son of peace is there your peace will rest upon him but if not it will return to you and remain in the same house eating and drinking what they provide for the laborer deserves his wages do not go from house to house whether you enter a town and they receive you eat what is set before you heal the sick in it and say to them the kingdom of god has come near to you so to jesus the advance of the church was the advance of the kingdom of god God was claiming new territory for his kingdom, like an invading army, or or more accurately, like a liberating army from the powers of darkness. Uh, And then verse 10, but wherever you enter, uh, uh, for whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your towns that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day than for Sodom and more than for that town. The reason that the dust was wiped off of the feet of the 72 was to symbolically say that God's kingdom does not dwell there. It has, it has not take root there. It is not in charge there. It has not liberated this territory because they have rejected the liberation. And then a few verses later in, in 
the 72 return, verse 17, the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, ready, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the powers of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. God was telling the church that they may place their feet on the powers of darkness, that, that they have dominion and mastery over evil itself. But that if the towns where they visited rejected Jesus Christ, they rejected the gospel, the kingdom of God, then God would, in a sense, Roman 1, give them over to remain under the powers of darkness, to remain a subject under the, tor the torment and the brutality of both serpents and scorpions. And of course, thinking of Revelation chapter, uh, thinking of the, the woes there. Remember we had the the scorpions, the, the locust who had tails like scorpions, and we had the horses with tails like serpents. So we see scorpion serpent there at play too in the in the first two woes, the, the trumpets. Um so just some things to chew on. Uh verse verse three and called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring, and when he called out the seven thunders sounded. Uh, a few few thoughts here. First, we have a seven description. We have head, face, legs, hand, right foot, left foot, and a voice. A sevenfold description here, plus a clothing. Now, the description in chapter 10, we have to understand, is very similar to another portion of scripture in the book of Revelation. The, the, this description of this angel in chapter 10 is very like the description of Jesus in chapter 1. And I believe the similarities of the two to be utterly fascinating. Uh, so let's let's look at the description of Jesus in chapter 1. I'll, I'll just read it. Verse 12, and if you have a Bible, you can flip there too. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, Revelation 1 uh, one twelve, And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like flame of fire, and his feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters, and in his right hand he held seven stars from his mouth, came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. What's really interesting here is both lists start at the clothing. We have the, uh, the starting, always starting in, in, in Revelation 10 and then Revelation 1. Start Both both the clothings are described first. We have the cloud, and then in chapter 1 we have the robe. Then next, they both describe the head. 
Of course, Revelation 10, we saw that the head was surrounded by a rainbow. And then in chapter 1, we saw they had white hair, white like wool. Then next, they go both talk about the face. They have a face like a sun and eyes like fire. Next, we go to the legs and feet. We have legs like pillars of fire and feet of heated bronze. And notice both are fiery and hot. So we have a parallel here all the way down in the description. And then... So we have parallels, and then when we see enough parallels, we should start to expect parallels. But then when there's a variant, we should really look at the variant and go, well, why is this different? So then we have enough parallels, and now we start to see some differences. The fourth, the center of the list in chapter 10, is of the scroll in the hand. And the center of the list in chapter 1 is the voice of Jesus. So if they both have seven descriptions, then you have three, one, three, three, one, three. The, the fourth one the, is the center of the list. And in the center of chapter 10, we see the scroll in the hand of the mighty angel, a mighty messenger. And then in the center of chapter 1, Revelation 1, we have the center of that list is the voice of Jesus. But think about it. This is very appropriate. If this mighty angel in chapter 10 is the Holy Spirit, this makes so much sense. Because if the voice, the, the words of Jesus are the climax of Jesus' description to the church, because he is the word, right? Then most definitely the written words of God are the climax of the Spirit's description to the church. Do you see that? Jesus communicated to us with his voice. The Spirit communicates to us through the written word of God. <laughs> and so if the voice of, it is the voice of Jesus and the scriptures from the Spirit. And then fifth, we have a right foot and then a right hand. So the fifth description, <laughs> excuse me, <laughs> the fifth description uh, in both lists, in chapter 10, we have a right foot. In chapter 1, we have a right hand. Uh, and then sixth, we have a left foot and a mouth. That's very different. And then the seventh, we have a voice and a face. But it, bo they both end back up at the head. Something, something also super interesting if we study both lists, if we omit the centers, the, the fourth from each list, in both uh, as they are, you know, both the climactic, uh, the chiastic centers there. Both lists move from the head to the toe and then back up to the face. They both follow the same exact pattern of the eyes. Now, I don't know if you remember all the way back to our time in chapter one. <laughs> 400 years ago. <laughs> but this pattern of up down, down, up description is drawn from the book of the Song of Solomons. This is a pattern that God has revealed himself drawing from the, the pattern of the book of the Song of Solomons. Uh, in the Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verses 10 through 16, it says this. My, and this is, this is a woman, and she's describing her lover. She's describing her, her man. Now, 
Uh, and it goes, Song of Solomon 510. My beloved is radiant and ruddy, distinguished among 10,000. His head is the finest gold. His locks are wavy, black as a raven. His eyes are like uh, doves beside stream of water, bathed in milk, sitting beside a full pool. His cheeks are like a bed of spices, mounds of sweet-smelling herbs. His lips are lilies, dripping liquid myrrh. His arms are rods of gold set with jewels. His body is polished ivory. His his, uh, bedek uh, with sapphires. His legs are alabaster columns set on bases of gold. His appearance is like Lebanon. Choice is the cedars. His mouth is most sweet, and he is altogether desirable. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. The parallels are not coincidental. The song that that we just read from Song of Solomon chapter 5 is of the woman describing the beauty of her lover, and she moves just like in Revelation chapter 1, just like in Revelation chapter 10, from top to bottom, then bottom to top, and she begins with the head of gold and moves down over his face to his abs, to his legs, before moving up to his mouth full of sweetness, the word. And in Revelation, the first unveiling of Jesus Christ in Revelation chapter 1 is the unveiling of a lover. Jesus is revealing himself to the church as the lover of the church. And John representing the church is like the woman from the Song of Solomon describing the beauty of her man, of her husband. And and here, uh, and there is a similarity here in chapter 10, as I believe the Spirit of Christ is being described. And not just because of the things that I've stated or the reasons I gave on Sunday, but also because of uh, of this messenger's behavior. Notice just like, notice, just like the Holy Spirit, notice that the Spirit almost immediately does what the Holy Spirit does. And points to another. So, uh, in many ways, I feel like this mighty messenger acts just like the Holy Spirit does all through the scriptures. Which is what? he The Holy Spirit is constantly pointing to another. Uh, my, my friend, Dr. Frank, who goes to the church, obviously, he talks about the Holy Spirit like... Uh, like the well he he says it like this the imagine the statue of liberty in new york city that's imagine that's jesus and the holy spirit are the lights that shine the statue of liberty at night he says the holy spirit's evidence is there you can see him but he's constantly illuminating another which again so we see the holy spirit here and it seems to be the Holy Spirit. And notice immediately what he does once he's in view. Look at verses 5 through uh, five and 6. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him. He's immediately pointing to someone else who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it and the earth and what is in it and the sea and what is in it. And remember, this spirit is resting his foot on the on the waters it's almost as if he's hovering over the face of the deep this mighty 
mighty messenger. But immediately, he's pointing, he's testifying to another, which is very similar to how the Holy Spirit responds all through the scriptures. Um, and of course, who, who this mighty messenger is responding to, and this could be an angel, but I think it's a spirit, is pointing to God and the Lamb. Now, the second thing I want to look at here is of the, the roar, the, the roaring lion. Um, the roaring lion here reminds me of a passage in Jeremiah 25. Uh, and I want to read this to you. You, therefore, shall prophesy against them all these words, and we're starting at verse 30, uh, and say to them, the Lord will roar from on high, and from his holy habitation utter his voice. He will roar mightily against his fold. And interesting, in Jeremiah, the fold of God here is Israel that is about to come under judgment. The judgment specifically, though, is coming from Babylon in Jeremiah. Well, here in Revelation, it's almost as if the inverse is true. God has been largely with the Gentiles since Pentecost. And now they are about to come under judgment. And by who? God is going to use Babylon once again, the city of Babylon, run by the beast to judge the nations. <laughs> to place them under tyranny, to bring people into captivity. So maybe this is a purposeful inverse, maybe not, but but maybe. And then it goes on and shout like those who tread grapes against all the inhabitants of the earth. And Revelation's going to get to that too. Uh, the clamor will resound to the ends of the earth, for the Lord has an indictment against the nations. He is entering into judgment with all flesh. The wicked he will put to the sword, declares the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, disaster is going forth from nation to nation, and a great tempest is stirring from the farthest parts of the earth. And so the judgment upon Israel would turn into judgment upon all nations. So maybe the greater fulfillment of this prophecy in Jeremiah is here in Revelation. Just maybe. Verse 4, we'll keep reading here. Verse 4. Revelation 10. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. And notice there's a play on words here. He says, uh, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. So what the thunders have spoken is to be sealed because the contents of the scroll have been unsealed. <laughs> so there's a play on words here. God wants, wants these words shut up, but not in the book because it's time to read the book or the scroll. Uh, verse 5, And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to uh, to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it and the earth and what is in it and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay. You know, a lot of people think that this couldn't be anything other than an angel because the angel makes an oath to God. And at first that sounds right, doesn't it? Well, God wouldn't make an oath on God. That can't be God. Um, someone who I respect very much, who wrote a very good commentary on this book, took that position. 
that God wouldn't swear by God or heaven. And I was really confused by that because that's just not true. <laughs> Hebrews 6.13 says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater uh, by whom to swear, he swore on himself. <laughs> So Hebrews 6.13, clear as day, God swears by himself sometimes because there's nothing greater to swear by. Who's God supposed to swear by? The earth? The earth is his footstool. So when God makes an oath, he swears by himself. So this could be the spirit swearing by God himself, that there would be no more delay. So that's certainly not a way to puncture this thought. And again, I'm not dying on this hill. This doesn't have to be the Holy Spirit. But as we take all these different things in view, uh, the argument becomes increasingly stronger that this is the Holy Spirit um, for us to, to chew on here. Uh, verse 7. But that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servant the prophets... God doesn't want seven thunders before the seventh trumpet is sounded. <laughs> because the time to digest and understand the scroll is what's coming next. God has ordained. It's time to eat the scroll. It's time to know the scroll, assimilate the scroll, to, to preach the scroll. And a huge part of this is in the prayers of the martyrs who cry out in chapter 6, How long, O Lord, till you avenge us? And God says, Rest a little longer, but now is the time. There, there will be no more delay. Now, before we go... I want to look at one more cross-reference um, that today's story is drawing from heavily. Uh, and this is something my amillennialist brothers uh, pointed out a lot, uh, which which is great. You know, and just, I want to pause really quick and just have a little pastoral note here. Um, if you notice, I read a lot of different sources and you know, I feel like one of the things, and this is totally unrelated to the teaching, I think, but I, I don't know, it's just on my heart and I want to share it. And that's what these B-sides are for, right? You know, one of, the, one of the problems is when you look at the early church, they would convene and have councils and they would meet for months sometimes. And they would sit there and, and they would all talk about the doctrine of the Trinity or would work out creeds and confessions and, and and would have to debate. And at the end of it all, there there would be a, a large majority consensus on the way the thing should go. And people that didn't adhere to what the scriptures had said, they departed into a new sect and almost always heresy. Um, but one of the problems now is, you know, there are over 40,000 different Protestant denominations. And, you know, one of the things that can happen, and this is true on social media. Do you notice on social media that the way it's the algorithms are designed is 90% of what you see is what you want to see. <laughs> and then the 10% that you see and you go, oh, those idiots, how could anyone think that Joe Biden's doing a good job, right? I mean, you know, I, I just watched 75 memes of him eating peanut brittle and falling asleep. You know, it's like you, you're conditioning yourself to only see what you want to see. Well, in a similar way, right, when, when we... When we stop
step out of our little theological camps and we run into somebody who thinks differently than us, they may trump us in our thinking, but the problem is, is we can then, after we talk at a lunch or whatever, we can retreat back to our own camps and get back into our own little echo chambers. And we don't ever have to change because we feel validated by the people we surround ourselves with. So we have 40,000 different denominations that people can come to and have a public debate or, a, or sit down and have a theological difference, but then everyone retreats back to their own camp and nothing changes. So one of the things that I love to do is I love to read all these different theological camps and for the book of Revelation, eschatological systems, um, because you know sometimes my amillennialist brothers are right on things. You know, they say things that are really good, and the preterism, I am not a preterist, I'm far from a preterist, but I'll tell you, there's a lot of really deep truths in that system that premillennialists have missed, largely. You know, so what, what we want to do is we don't want to... When we open the Word of God, we are handling truth. What we're not doing is trying to confirm our own biases. And so it's good to look and be stretched and 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 be willing to learn. <laughs> you know, one of my prayers ever since I was a little a little boy, I I have prayed this prayer consistently through my life as God, let me be teachable. Let me come to somebody I disagree 90% with and if they have a 10% truth there, I want to take it. You know, we see that from Paul. He quotes Greek philosophers. They were pagan. They denied the deity of God. They denied Yahweh. They didn't hold the law. Sexuality was rampant, but they had some truth. And Paul was mature enough in the word that he could take that truth and use it. And so, you know, we want to make sure we're not just constantly trying to reaffirm what we've already been taught. We want to learn. Uh, so anyways, I was studying my amillennialist brothers, and they pointed out something that I just didn't really see anywhere else. And that's the allusions to today's passage in Daniel 12. And I want to read it to you. It's Daniel 12, verses 5 through 13. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and the other on that bank of the stream. Do you, you see? There's some pictures there. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. So two men are on land and we have a man uh, above the water. How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And so here we have a question of time and fulfillment, which is exactly like the prayer of the, of the martyrs uh, in the book of Revelation. How long, O Lord? Verse 7, Daniel 12. And I heard the, the men clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and a half a time. And we're not getting into that today. And that when the shattering of the powers of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. So our text in Jeremiah 25 and in Daniel 12, that I think are underneath in the background of, of, our, of our Revelation 10 text today. And these two texts that are permeating and, and, and oh, oh, imagine light peeking through clouds here, they're saying similar things. 
that there is judgment coming to the Israelites. But it will come eventually to an end. You know, Jesus talks about a blindness over the hearts of Israel. You know, the, those who rejected the chief cornerstone, you know, the, there was a stumbling that happens. We see that in the early gospel. I think it's Luke 4 that there's blinded, you know, that there's, there's eyes that can't see and ears that can't hear. And this is a spiritual reality. And then we see that there's judgment. You know, Jerusalem was fallen. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, city that killed the prophets. Oh, I wish you'd gather me as a head on her mother. Wait, that, that surely that one stone will be left unturned. The judgment was coming to Israel. But eventually, and it seems even in the end days that there's going to be judgment in Israel. But eventually, eventually that judgment comes to the end. And so this is, this is in my theology. And again, a lot of people disagree with this. But in my theology, I believe right before the end, before the Lord returns, there will be a great revival in Israel. Now, I know a lot of people make fun of that and say, that's ridiculous. That's not true, you know. Um, and especially, again, think now thinking of my amillennialist brothers, who, who, whom I love. Um, but one of the things we have to understand is even their hero, John Calvin, said the same thing. Not quite that way, but he said that surely God is not done with the nation of Israel. Was he read the scriptures honestly? He knew that there was something that God still had saved for the for the Jewish people. And so in my thinking, I, I, I think this time of the end that Daniel is talking about is going to lead us into this, that the spiritual exile that Israel has been in is coming to a close as we start to look in Revelation 10, and they will be restored that God will pour his spirit out upon the Jewish people and there will be a national revival towards belief in, in Jesus as Messiah. And like in Jeremiah 25, the shattering of the nations is part of that restoration of, of God's people out of Babylon. Uh, Daniel 12.8, uh, I heard, uh, I, I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. In Daniel, the words were written and sealed for a time. But here in Revelation, the time to understand is now. Is now. And the seven thunders prolonging the fulfillment of this is to be sealed and tucked away and not written and put away. And why? Because there, there, there will be no more delay. Uh, we're, we're about to step into a portion of scripture where a lot about Israel is talked about and Babylon is talked about. And I believe this is getting us to a place, especially seen so clearly in the book of Zechariah and the millennial kingdom, that the restoration of Israel is, is God's going to pour his spirit out upon them and turn the Israelites into Christians. I think that's where this is heading in my theology. I could be wrong, but that's what I, that's what I sense. That's what I see when I look at the scriptures as a whole. And I believe that's where the no more delay is, is starting to go. I believe that that's where we're going here. Uh, so with that, uh, I love you all. Let's pray, huh? 
God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. We pray for a wonderful day today. We ask that you would guide and protect us. We, we thank you for this word. We thank you for, for your word, and your word is truth, and we thank you that we know the truth. God, we ask that you would guide us in all things, God. There, there are so many faithful, godly, God-fearing brothers and sisters all over the place on these texts. God, for whatever reason, you, you, have, you have not told us plainly which way these things are going. At least it's, that's the way it seems to us, and that might just be our own limitations. But God, we pray that you help us to have a spirit of generosity and, and and, and mercy and grace with those with whom we differ. And God, we ask, we, we don't want to just constantly be in these own, our own echo chambers. We want to learn. Your word is truth. God, teach us the truth. <laughs> God, please show us your scriptures with new eyes. Give us clarity, we, we pray. And then help us to not only be hearers, hearers of this word, the true word, but help us to be doers. Help us to then not only get fat on the word, but to exercise and use these things that you have given us, we pray. And in Jesus' name, we love you, we praise you, we thank you. Be with us now. Send us out in a fresh new power and help us to tread upon the enemy. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you all so much. Thanks for joining us for this Calvary Baltimore B-Side. If you'd like to get in touch or come visit us at Calvary Baltimore, our website is calvarychapelbaltimore.org. You can email us at calvary.faithlife at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you've been blessed by today's teaching and would like to donate to the work God is doing through Calvary Baltimore, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org and click Donate Now. Until next time, keep drawing closer to God through the reading of His Word. And join us again for the next Calvary Baltimore B-Side.